What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Team Chat Podcast, a video game show where we talk about games, the ones we love, the ones we hate, and everything in between. I'm one of your hosts, Jarrett Wilson, joined through the power of the internet by my co-host, Rachel Mogan. Buongiorno. Buongiorno to you as well. How are you this fine day? I'm doing great. Yeah, we're recording on a Friday during the middle of the day right? because I, I randomly have the day off from work. We've never recorded at this hour before. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I don't think we've ever recorded like in just the middle of the it's day weird. during the week. It is really weird, but it's fun. Yeah, it, it a sign feels of, bad. <laughs> a, it's a sign of what's to come when Team Chat takes off and becomes a staple of video game news and commentary that people flock to. And they'll just be like, man. I'm so excited that now Team Chat records in the middle of the day and I can watch those across a lot of different places or listen to it on podcast services such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can watch each episode on youtube.com slash Podcast. You can find us on social media such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and join our Discord server. And, uh, and then... New episodes and all that come out on Tuesdays, 9 a.m. Central Time. But if you want to help us make the show bigger and better so that we can be out here listening and record, you can be out here listening and us recording on the middle of the week. Well, you can go to patreon.com slash team chat podcast, whereas for as little as a dollar a month, you can support the show. And in return, we'll give you a cool perk like getting the episodes early before the general Tuesday release and access to a discord to a sorry patron only channel on our discord server the rogues gallery but if you can't do that that's no big deal at all we totally understand but we would still appreciate if you could help us out by either writing reviews telling your friends following us on social media you know all that good stuff that helps make the show bigger and better as well by just getting it out there in front of more people so thank you very much we appreciate and love all of our patrons and listeners alike heart emojis boom, boom. Boom, boom. before we get into the main topic of the day we have to get a little bit of news and what's coming out soon in our moment with Mogan. So as of this episode's air date on September 8th, all of the following are out. Kingdoms of Almuller, Re-Reckoning ah. for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. I know that it's probably not, but that sounds like a very, like, J.R.R. Tolkien title. Like, that sounds like a spinoff yeah. of Lord of the Rings or Kingdoms something. Kingdoms of Almuller, it does. I guess it's, it's it's a really funny name. I like how they did that because it's a re it's a port or remaster of the original right? one. And so I like that that's what they call it. They call it just not, like... Here it is, the remastered. It's re-reckoning. I like that. That's funny. I like that, too. Uh, You've also got Necromunda, Underhive Wars for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. Okuno K.A. Madness for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Star Renegades comes out for PC only. The Sims 4 Star Wars Expansion Journey to Batu Game Pack for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. It's out on September 8th as well. Nice. Uh, we also have The Outer Worlds, Peril on Gorgon DLC. That's for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC coming out September 9th. That's exciting. That I is. actually kind of didn't realize that The Outer Worlds was getting DLC, so that's cool. That's one That's one game I still want to play at some point. I wonder... It like, looks really I, good. Maybe not, but I wonder if it's actually going to have anything to do with like the mythical Gorgons. Like, Are we going to have oh. snake-haired stone creatures? You, I don't know. I don't Anyways... Know. It's neither here nor there. Uh, Bounty Battle comes out September 10th for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. So does Mo, as, Mo colon Astray. The, sorry, I think I'm saying that really wrong. It's M-O colon Astray. Uh, it comes out for the Nintendo Switch on September 10th. On the 11th, we have Inertial Drift for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Sounds very spacey. A game that you probably don't need to play uh, comes out next week. eFootball PES 2021. 
What even is that? I believe that's a soccer game. Oh, okay. Yeah, Pro Evolution Soccer. That's what the PES is for. Yeah. Sure. It's the, it's the main it's, FIFA it's, competitor. Oh, okay. You know what? Fine. Go for it, PES. Get that competition out there. Uh, and then Spelunky 2 uh, makes its way to PlayStation 4 and PC on September 15th. And that gets us through next week. Very cool. Very cool. Well, before we jump into our main topic, we also have to touch on that the Nintendo new. Direct that finally uh, for Mario's 35th anniversary, they finally announced that we're going to be getting Mario All-Stars 3D, which is going to include Super Mario 64, Super Mario Sunshine and Super Mario Galaxy. Uh, we're also so going. They also announced that we're getting a, a port to the switch for Super Mario 3D World, which uh, it looks a ton of fun. And we're also getting a battle royale for Super Mario. Think Super Mario Bros. 35, where you play against 35 other Mario players at the same time. Uh, getting that insanely cool Mario Kart Live home circuit. That looks so cool, where you can actually drive a Mario Kart remote-controlled car around through your house. It has an AR camera on it and put, puts that to your Switch. That looks so cool. And there's going to be the Game & Watch Super Mario Bros. version of an old Game & Watch system. So those look like that's all going to be a yeah. ton of fun stuff, especially because like I haven't played Galaxy or Sunshine and I haven't played 3D World because those were on so, Wii U and Wii and uh, sorry, Wii U, GameCube and um, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, so all of it looks so incredibly great. exciting, oh, uh, yeah. especially Sunshine, because I feel like, you know, the GameCube is hecka old by now mm -hmm. and it's really hard to find Mario Sunshine for the GameCube that isn't insanely marked up. You know, good quality Sunshine copies for the GameCube are upwards of like 80 bucks at mm -hmm. a lot of resale shops or on eBay. So the fact that Sunshine is now just going to have so much more playability for modern audiences is excellent. Yep. Very excited about that. Super Mario 64 has had, I think, a lot more recent ports. Uh, it definitely had one on the Wii because I think that's where I played it. So it's oh. gotten a couple of ports over time. And then did they actually put it on the 3DS? They may have. I can't remember. Don't quote sure. me on that because they might not have. Uh, but Mario 64, I just feel like, has better access in general. Um, and Galaxy is, of course, also newer being mm -hmm. for the Wii. But Mario Galaxy is one of my favorite Mario games, period. Yeah, I'm so super I'm, excited to, to play all those because, yeah, it's just that's a lot of great the content. That's that I'm the most excited about. Now, the caveat to this. Oh, and it comes out really soon. Yes. It comes out on like September 21st. Uh, 18th, is that I think, right? actually. 18th. 18th. September 18th. And right now, real quick, uh, you can also, through the Nintendo Switch Online uh, hub, I guess is a good way to call it, where they have like older games that they put out from the NES and SNES, you can play the original Super Mario Brothers All-Stars, which has versions of Super Mario Brothers, The Lost Level, Super Mario Brothers 2, 1, and 3. So there's a lot of great retro uh Mario content coming your way too. But yeah, so the, the the weird thing about all this stuff though. So go ahead. What were you saying about that? Yeah. It's the um so this comes out in both physical and digital release on September 18th like we said, but it's a limited time release mm -hmm. which is baffling. It's odd. So it's an odd it, move. It's very odd. Now, the limited time is somewhat generous. I mean, it's through March, I think March 2021, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But still like what the heck? What the heck? The <laughs> like, only what's, thing... what's happening, Nintendo? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I just don't get it. Why make it a limited time release? That, mm -hmm. Because this is a product that's going to be in high demand for a long-ass time. Why make it a limited time deal? Yeah. The only thing I can 
The only idea that I've had around this and that I've been able to kind of make sense in my head is that they're wanting to start treating, Nintendo's maybe wanting to start treating some of their older titles like this, kind of how Disney does with their old movies where they throw them in the vault. Like the vault. Yeah, and then they bring them out like every 10 years or whatever for the latest medium of like Blu-ray or what 4K or whatever that's out at the time. So maybe Nintendo's wanting to do something like that. It's also, I mean, be, knowing that it's a limited release thing, it's going to sell like gangbusters. I mean, it was going oh, to sell like gangbusters sell anyway, really well. but still this is going to make it sell like really well and it's going to do incredibly well. So I don't, but it was going to, but again, it was going to do incredibly well because it's Mario and you know what I mean? And these old I, treasured games. So no, I don't understand it entirely and they haven't given any more credence to it really. So. And I just think that, and this also applies to Disney, I think that's a really non-customer-friendly approach to anything. You know, any type of media, any type of product, timed releases, I just think are really anti-customer. Mm -hmm. And a big part of that, at least in the case of this timed release, is we are still in some really troubled economic times. Yeah. And there are a lot of people that either can't afford new games or can't afford the console to play them on. And I just feel like that's not going away anytime soon in oh, yeah, a big sure. way. So I feel like it's just, I feel like it's the wrong move at the wrong time because it just, it, it just limits the access. And that being said, this is going to be a full priced game. Mm -hmm. so, so obviously for 64 Sunshine and Galaxy, I think that's a, a pretty, a fairly good deal. But for being a full priced game... Nothing is being remastered. There aren't like going to be any big changes to any of the games. There's no huge graphical increase in quality. I think they're like so. they're doing some like retexturing and things like that to give it like a little cleaner look. But to yeah, make it's them not like playable. Of it's course, on the right. Switch. It's not like you're going to open it up and it's like insane like realistic yeah, it's textures. Not like, it's yeah. not like the Spyro remaster. It's not right, like they right. took an old game and totally redid it for modern times. So. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of get why it's priced the way it is, because again, copies of Sunshine are very expensive. Our obviously Mario 64 copies can sell for a pretty good amount too. So I get it, but also they could have made it like 45, 50 bucks. Yeah. So, you know, it's just kind of like, even for the digital copy, like I can understand the physical copy being a timed release, but the digital copy, what the hell? Yeah. I mean, so but that's just going... Is, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm that's still just, very excited about it, but there's some caveats. Right, same, same. Because I mean, yeah, it just it's just kind of an odd an odd choice, and I, I hadn't even thought about the whole thing about yeah, like it's just this being a bad time to potentially release something like that about because bad yeah, a timing. lot of. But uh, yeah, it's just an interesting thing. I'll be curious to see if they reverse it. But I mean, it's it's par for the course for Nintendo stuff like this. Like they they release everything at sixty dollars, and it stays yeah. sixty dollars for ever. Like ever, you like, ever. <laughs> you get an alert and it's like, oh, hey, launch game of the Switch is now $50 instead of 60 And you're like, like what a sale. What so, a sale. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just like one of those things that they're always kind of like had these weird quirks about. Yeah, they like, I they agree. don't put stuff on sale. It's always normally like fuller, higher price things. But, you know, it is what it is, I guess, in this sense. But hopefully, though, they maybe once it gets to the, they do extend this out and it and they get rid of this weird timing thing but i think the best thing about these coming to switch is that it makes these three classic games that much easier to stream mm -hmm. so if you're interested in perchance some sort of mario galaxy stream or perhaps mario sunshine stream 
We'd be happy to do it if we you want would. to request it. We would indeed. We'll probably do it anyway, honestly. Yeah, like, we'll probably do it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you're going to have to like, comment, and subscribe for more details. That's right. There is prerequisites to all of this happening. Oh, but boy. still, it's it's super exciting, though, and it was just so cool getting all that information. I was watching the trailers. I especially showed Sam the Super Mario 3D World one because they all are in cat suits which she was freaking out about. And especially too, because like she said, oh, when they ran on all fours, that killed me. Like, so how cute that was. And then when we were watching the one for the live circuit of doing the Mario Kart inside, like we were both, it was, we both watched it for the first time when we watched it and I was just showing it to her and we're both just sitting there going, holy shit, this is so cool. Like how you can make your own courses and everything like that in your house. We were just sitting there and Sam, especially just watching it going, holy fuck. Holy shit, this is so cool. And I was just like, man, this is, it's an insanely fun thing to see. Nintendo has, for all their weird quirks with stuff like that, like their pricing or whatever, they do still deliver great stuff. And so it just looks more like it's going to be more of the same. Yeah. And they still do a super good job of thinking outside the box, mm-hmm. thinking up some weird new shit. And they're like, here you go. Well, and it's e- like, oh, okay. <laughs> not only with the Switch being a, a hybrid console handhold to, you know, to docked, you've also got like, you know, you've Nintendo Labo, you've had Ring Fit Adventure, and now this. Like, it's crazy the fun stuff they put out to go they with their consoles. They just love doing weird stuff. They really uh, do. So, anyways, I'm definitely here for it. I love it. I love, you know, older games being made more accessible to modern, modern audiences. And I actually didn't realize, I guess it makes sense, you didn't own the console, but. In my mind, I kind of assumed that you and Sam had played Mario 3D World because it's it's so up your alley. You are both going to love it. I actually think Mario 3D World is one of the better oh, really? modern Mario games. I think it's excellent. Uh, I played the whole thing, including the bonus levels. I loved it. That's a great game. And I'm pretty sure, too, now that you were saying how great that one is, I'm pretty sure... I'm 99% sure that it will be have online multiplayer. Oh, oh my God. I'm going to, I'm going to have such a fun time. Right. Oh my God. I'm going to confirm. Uh, I'm going to confirm that real quick. Super Mario. Cause if that's true. So for anybody 3D. that doesn't know Mario 3d world, it can be up to four players. So somebody can be Luigi, Mario, Toad, and peach to start with. Um, and if you haven't been able to play it before, but you own a switch now, for the love of God, please play this game. I think I may have done a review on Mario 3D World a very long time ago. It would have been years ago on the show, but I, it no. is. It's a fantastic game. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Okay, on Nintendo's page right now, let me look at these. Okay, you do have to have Nintendo Switch online, but it does say work together locally or online with up to three other players to reach the goal and see who can get the high score. That is wonderful. That means we can stream it together. I know. It's going to be so fun. So fun. I'm <laughs> That's hyped. awesome. I'm hyped. Um, I'm, yeah. So, so. I, I mean, I love 3D World so much, I probably would buy it again just because it's a great game. It's yeah. really well done. Well, and it's coming with something called Bowser's Fury that we don't know really what that is yet. That's Very a little good. a little bit of secrecy with the whole reveal, too. So, ooh, Spooky. it's an exciting time. It's an exciting time. Well, as we move in into our main topic, what we wanted to talk about, because while there's a lot of great stuff coming out for the Switch that we could still look forward to, the big things on the PS4 and the Xbox One, though, is we're just looking forward to the next generation of consoles. So as we get closer and closer to that date, we're going to start to do a few episodes that focus on our favorite things from the past generation of games. So, or this current ending generation of games. And so we wanted to kick that off this week with talking about some of our 
hidden gem games, I guess is the, bit of, the best way to say it. Ones that we either felt like we personally loved and didn't know a whole lot of other people who do love it, or ones that were like critically panned that we still love. And so we wanted to share three. Each of us had three of our of our hidden gems from the last from this current generation that we wanted to share with you all. So, uh, Mogan, why don't you kick us off? First with- of all, um, I just want to say I'm going to go on ahead and call it out now. So take your headphones off real quick. I'm going to guess one of the games you're going to talk about. And I think I'm totally right. I'm going to see if I can read your lips. Okay. It's totally going to be, it's totally going to be the order 1886 or whatever it's called. Okay. I don't know what you said. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, you definitely don't know what I said. Um, I'm <laughs> totally right about it too. Uh, so do you want to start? Wait, did you say that you want me to start? Cause I'm fine with that. Yeah. I was going to say, if you want to start, kick us off. Okay. So mine are kind of a mix of, you know, both much more mainstream titles and at least one indie title. So, but the first one I'm going to talk about is a game that you've seen me talk about just kind of a lot lately uh, over the past couple of months, but I don't think I ever did a formal review of this game, Mm, which is wild because I I guess at the time I didn't really like it that much, but I love it now. It's crash team racing. Oh, nice. So I, you know, uh, this is kind of, Maybe not necessarily 100% appropriate to the topic because Crash Team Racing is technically a very old game. Mm -hmm. Very, very old. It's like PlayStation 1 era, I think. But they remastered Crash Team Racing, similar to how they remastered the Crash Bandicoot games in the first place and the Spyro games. They totally rehauled it, did a full remaster for modern times. And when I first picked up Crash Team Racing... Over a year ago, it's been at least a year, maybe two by now since the game came out. I didn't really know what to think about it. Um, I liked it, but in a lot of ways, I didn't like it Mm -hmm. because it's very, very difficult. It's It's so hard. It's (laughs) so hard. And, you know, coming from other racers that I've played, like Mario Kart, for example, I was like, holy crap, why am I so bad at this game? Yeah. So to give you kind of a brief overview of how Crash Team Racing mechanically works, you know, if you're holding the PlayStation controller, X is your accelerate. So, of course, you hold down X to go. Square, I think, is your hard break button. Uh, Circle is using items because there are crates and you have items in this game to use against other enemies and to help yourself. Uh, And then the L1 and R1 shoulder buttons both make your cart do a little hop. So this hop is integral to how you play the game because the whole point of Crash Team Racing, nitro-fueled is what the caveat is for the new game, CTR nitro-fueled, the whole point is to be able to get a nitro boost to gain speed. And you get the boost, you have like a little boost meter in the bottom corner of the screen. To get the boost, you start off with just a little hop. You do a quick little hop with L1. I am not holding the controller correctly. I always do a quick little (laughs) hop with R1. Uh, And then you have to lean into the turn that you want to basically drift into And then as you're leaning into that turn and curving around, you know, either a sharp curve or a big curve, it doesn't really matter, your nitro meter will start to fill up and your wheels will start to glow and the smoke coming out of the back of your car will start to pick up. And once that meter is almost all the way full, you don't want it all the way full because it'll tap out, like it'll overheat or whatever. Mm -hmm. But once it's almost all the way full, you hit the alternating L1 button. So whichever shoulder you started with, you hit the alternating one to get a boost. 
So and there's a definitely a rhythm to the game that you have to practice and really kind of build up, which when I first started playing, I didn't have it all. I had no rhythm. I still I was, have not mastered it. I was F minus tier at the game. I was poop tier at Crash Team Racing. But so when you start your boost, you can get up to three in a row. So it's hop, turn, boost, boost, boost. Mm-hmm. And that gets you an even bigger boost. And if you can continuously boost around the map, not necessarily always in threes, you should be boosting at any given time. Even if you're on like a straight path, you should still be attempting to manually boost because that's the only way you're going to build up maximum speed, bro. Because similarly to, uh, you know, Mario Kart, the point of the game is to be very fast, but Mm -hmm. I feel like Mario Kart does a much worse job of that just because it is so different level friendly. You know, you can play at 50cc, which is super slow, and then there's 200cc, which is the fastest in Mario Kart. In Crash Team Racing, there are no speeds. There's one speed, and that speed is hella fast. You should be going as fast as you possibly can, to the extent that if you don't know a map really well, you will be flying off the map at any given turn, just effing it up fantastically spinning out you can do god knows what wrong and it's a really challenging game uh there are three different difficulty settings for the npcs if you're playing against npcs uh there's easy normal normal no they call it medium there's easy medium and hard and it's like bitch who (laughs) what are you talking about like the easy mode i guess is pretty easy but that jump from easy to medium is extreme. Really? Medium is my version of hard. And then hard mode is like impossible for me. It's like I just I haven't even I just, tried yeah, medium, I, I don't can't think. Do I think this. I'm still I think I'm still on easy because it's yeah, so I have not mastered this game at all. Hard. Uh, first of all, Bernie, little dog, oh, little popper. Lay down that old dog. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Crash Team Racing is incredibly hard, but I just kind of randomly took it back up here a few months ago over the summer because Bro Mogan and I played it together at home. And just for some reason, this time around, after many months away from the game, it finally clicked and I finally started to get the rhythm of it. And I was like, oh my God, this is a great game. Because even though it is really difficult, once you get the hang of it, it's incredibly addictive. Mm -hmm. I got really into CTR for about a month and a half there, just playing really regularly, playing online, which is something I almost never do, uh, and actually not doing terrible. Nice. Every now and then in online mode, I'll come in the top three. Never first, but top three. That's pretty good. The reason I think it's a hidden gem, though, is because... It really, after launch, it got very little press. And even kind of at launch, I don't feel like it got that much attention. Probably because it is a remake. You know, it's not a new title, so that probably had something to do with it. But I feel like it was also genuinely hurt. Uh, I feel like the public perception of the game was really badly damaged by what the publisher did to it afterwards because they released it and they were like, no microtransactions, no game-breaking mechanics. It's going to be awesome, bro. And then about a month after release, they added in the microtransactions. Yeah, you can't do that. Can't bamboozle people like that. They're not wild. The microtransactions aren't insane. They're not super in your face. But it's the principle of releasing the game, making a big deal about how it has no microtransactions, and then putting them in afterwards yeah 
that is such a corporate scumbag move that everybody was just ragging on it in the press. And I totally get it. That's a shitty thing to do. And I feel like it really hurt the game's potential because it was still relatively new at that point. And if you're playing now, years on like I am, uh, it's really hard to actually find full rooms in online mode. You know, you might be able to get six people, sometimes a full eight if you're really lucky. Mm -hmm. But it's really common that you have connection errors. People will just drop out because they're losing. They rage quit. And it just kind of hurts the quality of the races, at least in online mode. So it definitely has its drawbacks. But overall, I feel like it does qualify as a hidden gem just because it got pretty forgotten really fast. Mm -hmm. But it's such a good game. It's actually fun. Like, it's a really fun racer. And I will absolutely say, just out here right now, I think it's a better racer than Mario Kart by a mile. I by feel like many it, miles. I feel like it requires way more skill. Like, the learning oh, curve for the game is insanely absolutely. hard compared to, compared to yeah. Mario Kart. Like, I'm yeah, not great so. at Mario Kart, really. But, like... But I so can win at Mario Kart. My, I can't same. Crash I can't win Crash at all. Like <laughs> no. I can still pull out a win in Mario Kart every once in a while. But but man, Crash, you got it, and I and we're like pumping up, being like, oh, it's so good, it's so good. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll try it out. And I got it, and I just like Sam and I tried playing it together, and we were just like, what is happening in this game? Because we were so expecting hard. it to be a quick pick up and go, like oh, with Mario new, Kart. Oh, new, no, you've gotta <laughs> new, learn new, new, new. You have learn to actually it. learn. You have to sit down and practice, which the game does have many different modes that you can use to further your abilities. So, of course, there is the traditional story mode, which was from the original game, where you're fighting against an intergalactic evil, and he's challenged you to a kart race of all things. Because that's how you so solve intergalactic disputes. That's how you solve intergalactic disputes through racing, obviously. So there's a story story mode that you can go through to obviously unlock new characters, new skins, blah, 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 and it's great for practice. There are also time trial modes. There are these special, like, gem modes, I guess. you Yeah, the gem races. Um, No, not the gem races. The uh, CTR races, because you can race through each course and collect a physical, like, large C, T, and R. And if you collect all three and get first, you, like, win that mode. And then there's the time trials and a couple of other ones as well. So there's tons of ring mode, ring, mm. ring rally, ring rally. That's the one I'm trying to say. There are the CTR races, time trials, and this wild thing called ring rally. And all of those just help you to learn the rhythm. They are very much there, at least in my view, to help you learn the game and get better at it so that you can go into online mode and come in third. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's just the whole point of the game. I think it's really well done. And I think that it that some management decisions uh, really hurt it. So I think it definitely qualifies as a hidden gem in this case. Yeah, I'd say so for sure. Please play Crash Team Racing with me. Uh, just general people. Well, all of you out well, there. <laughs> then remember when we did our our community night of, of playing at stream night where we played it with a whole bunch of people, people like all about that. Game. Yeah, and it was kind of surprising. Like, like, we got a lot of we got a lot of like people we didn't know jump in with us and then like even and, you know, and follow us and stuff like that afterwards. It's, it was kind of it was kind of like, definitely. did we find an untapped market here? The Crash Team we, Racing I, world? I feel like the people still playing CTR at this point are such a niche. Like there definitely aren't that many people playing at this point. And the ones who are like, that's a tiny little micro community of people that are diehard CTR fans mm -hmm. for good reason. It's a great game. Play it, please do it. Uh, so let's see one of my first, which ones do I want to do first? Hmm. You're the one that I guessed. I definitely know what it is. 
Uh, let me see. Which one do I want to start with? I know I exactly start... what you're going to talk about. <laughs> okay, let me see. I'll, I'll go ahead. I'm going to give in to your pressuring. I'll talk about this one first. I know what it is. The Order 1886. Yes, I nailed it. I knew it. I knew you. You can't wait I, to bring this. I can't wait to bring this game up because it's so good. Oh, That's man. That's really funny. So the Order 1886 came out for uh, February 20th, 2015. So it was a pretty quick release after the launch of the PS4. Yeah. So it's it's back there in the catalog. Uh, but it was developed by Ready at Dawn. Basically, Storyline of this game is that you are playing as the still alive and still kicking Knights of the Round Table, but in Victorian era London. And so the thing is, though, you are granted basically immortality. Like you could still die, but you have to be killed kind of thing because you you use this this ancient like potion magical essence that you can drink and it restores your health, restores your your vitality and keeps you alive and kicking for hundreds of years. And so. The Knights of the Round Table have then still been this protective force in England and like, and maybe even other parts of the world. But at least in this storyline, you're still focused being set up in London. And there's a whole lot of political unrest going on right now. There's this like rebellion happening that's threatening to push the country into civil war. And you're just trying to get to the bottom of it. But as you're going through this investigation into all this, you uncover there are darker forces at play. And what that eventually breaks down into is... This game pseudo becomes underworld, but set in Victorian London, Victorian era London, which which for starters, who doesn't love Victorian times? Right. It's just a good vibe. It is a good good vibe. It's a cool atmosphere all the time. Right. And then you throw in this stuff with lichens and other things like that. Uh, I mean, the game's 2015. I can talk about the stuff. Lichens or liches? I've always said lichens. Oh, lichens, of course. Werewolves. Werewolves. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, 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 was, I was just thinking of like a lich and I was like, lichens. Interesting. I didn't know that was the plural of liches. <laughs> liches bad. become You're lichens. Right. But so it's <laughs> yeah. this, so then it comes into this, this like struggle of like, there are vampires, lichens, all this other stuff. It's just this crazy story. That's why I say it becomes the underworld. Like it basically becomes like you're playing underworld in this video game. But the reasons I think why I would qualify this one as a hidden gem is because it didn't do super well at launch. Like it after launch and all the reviews initially came out saying like, hey, it's got some good things going for it, but it is short and you're still paying 60 bucks for it at, at time of release. I will say as a caveat to this that I've said every other time that I've talked about this game, I did get it on sale when I finally did get it a couple years later down the road. Um, and so having I know that could potentially sway my opinion on it if I had had bought it at $60. But for how much, though, I like this game, I don't think that would have been a problem for me. I think I would have played this game and been like, that was a $60 game because why I think it's a hidden gem outside of all this stuff is because it came out so quickly after the launch of the PS4 that it was like the, the game that I feel like Ready at Dawn was presenting as, hey, look at what the PS4 can do. And because of that, the game is beautiful. Like, I swear you could throw it into your PS4, fire it up, and you would be like, man, this looks like this one came out this year. Because that's how good the graphics are. The facial animations, especially in cutscenes, fantastic. It literally is like you're watching a fully rendered CGI movie is how it feels, you know, um, and everything. And so it's just... It's so well done. The performances for all the characters are spot on and just really well done. And 
there, the story, I think, while it is short, I will agree, it's short. It's like eight to 10 hours, depending on how much you want to do in the game itself. It's a good story. And I hope to God at some point that this game gets a second chance and they give it and it gets a sequel in some way because I totally was 1887 mm-hmm. one year later, baby. or 1986. <sighs> Ooh, How cool would that. that be? I don't know. That See, could be cool. I, I'm what, so we in love got with Wonder, We got Wonder times. Woman 19 in 40 in the 40, 1940s and then we're there getting 19 True. Wonder Woman 1984. So I mean, this is so off topic, but I feel like. I wouldn't want to play that game in the 80s. I would want to play it in the 1920s. I feel like that could Ooh, be pretty fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who doesn't want the 1920s cool era game? That would be pretty cool, too. And so I just feel like it's it's also very cinematic, a very cinematic game. Like, I would, I would very much describe it like that. It was one of the first games that I felt like, oh, man, this is a very strong hybrid of a movie and a game. It's not as like I know, like I would say the same thing for like Last of Us Part Two. Like even though there's way more gameplay and way more like story and and game than there is in the Last of Us in the part. Sorry, getting confused with myself. There's way more story and gameplay and just total hours you can spend in the Last of Us Part Two than there is with the Order eighteen eighty six. But still, the Last of Us Part Two has this very strong movie quality to it in terms of its cinematics and how you progress and the stories relate to you. But I feel like the Order 1886 was one of those first instances, again, where I was like, oh, man, look at this blending of these two mediums. And I thought it came together really well. I know it got a lot of knocks, too, because some of the bigger fight uh, sequences would also would often have these quick time events that would come up that would determine either like delivering a powerful blow, escaping from an enemy or something like that. But in how they were worked in, I still felt like it fit really well with the overall sense of the game. The game, other than that, the combat style of the game, I would say, is very similar to Gears of War, where it's third third person cover based shooter, where you're moving along a very linear path along through the city, taking cover behind obstacles, and that's where you dispense your you know fire from and take out the enemies. They, it had a lot of great weapons though, like it, because it is pre Victorian, and also kind of like you had this um, like a. Tesla gun, I think is what it was called. That would like shoot electric bolts and stuff like that. That was developed obviously by Nikola Tesla. And so it works in these historical things with this like fantasy and it just, it built such an incredible world. So I, I know that like a lot of people at the time, they looked at that $60 price tag and were like, Oh, that seems steep for only eight hours a game. But I think because of the work and the, and the quality of what that game came out with. Yeah. Like I would have paid 60 bucks for it. And I and I loved the game when I played it, and I am wanting to kind of put it popped up a couple times in my timeline recently. I think you tagged me in somebody who had said like, "Hey, the Order eighteen eighty six is a great game," and I was like, "Ah, oh, fellow person of culture, this is wonderful." <laughs> and then uh, and it popped up again recently to somebody else, and I was like, "Man, I need to replay the Order eighteen eighty six. It's so good." Uh, and so that's honestly what kind of gave me the the idea for doing this as the topic of doing these hidden gems because it is. I knew it. It is it. a hidden gem, and people <laughs> need to play this game. So please, again, play the order, the order eighteen eighty six, especially because now it is the end of the console generation. It's cheap; like you can pick it up for pretty yeah, cheap, you can anyways. Get it for like five bucks. Yeah, it goes on sale. I'm pretty sure I've seen it on sale sometimes for like two dollars. Like, and there's even some sales I think going on right now. So check it out. It's an incredible game. It's just for the quality of the game. Like I ran across, I do not remember a single bug. I do not remember a single issue because, like I said, they wanted this to be the tentpole of the power that the PS4 can give at the time and at launch. And now, granted, we saw 
probably what would be maybe not better iterations of that, but we still saw the power of the PS4 with games like Last of Us Part Two, Horizon Zero Dawn, things like that. But still, for being like the first one to be like, hey, check what this thing can do, I think it did it incredibly well. And that's why I think yeah. The Order 1886 is a hidden gem. So. Yeah. I'm wondering though if you'll be able to guess some of my other ones because I know uh, that was Probably that one was was low hanging fruit. <laughs> but still, really easy very to good guess. guess. Uh, you read me like a book. You read me like a book. What oh, can I say? So easy. So real quick, I'm not going to delve into these because I don't think that they really qualify as hidden gems. Mm-hmm. But just in case anybody missed it from the PS4 era, for the love of God, play Dishonored and Dishonored Two. Those games mm-hmm. are top tier action stealth games you will love them you jerry you haven't played them i've got like i haven't played two but i have played like maybe halfway through one i think that they i need to play them again i need to get i I really think that as far as that genre goes like action stealth dishonored is probably my favorite game in that entire category nice nice please play dishonored one and two they are both for ps4 uh, and they are super super good games um, but that's not one of the ones that I'm going to talk about next because Ooh. I don't feel like it really qualifies as a hidden. Everybody knows Dishonored. Right. Even if you haven't played it, you know the title. Whereas this other game I talked about maybe two years ago. Uh, that sounds about right. About two years ago. And I still think that it is a superb game. And I was wonderfully reminded of it by this recent trend that we've got going around that's so hot right now. So hot right Ghostly now. spiritual figures. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, ghost figures. And this is the game whose title I couldn't remember when we were doing the review or like talking about Awakening Unknown 9 or whatever that new game is called. The oh, Unknown 9? Unknown 9 Awakening? Awakening. Yeah. Jesus, sorry. I couldn't remember this game's title. And then I was like, oh my God, of course. It's the vanishing of Ethan Carter. Oh, so I yeah. definitely want to talk about this game again because I feel like most people don't know about it. And I understand why it is a much older game at this point. Uh, it came out for Xbox One. Actually, it got an Xbox port way later. It came out for PS4 in 2015. So it's one of those really early titles for early titles one of those older titles for the playstation 4 it did make a port later to xbox one and then it even got us a, a port to the nintendo switch uh last year in 2019 oh cool um so sure you can play it on the switch now but i feel like the vanishing of ethan carter deserves a lot more attention for being so unique in its own category because it can tend to get lumped into the category of walking simulator because you do a lot of walking obviously mm-hmm. But I really don't think that that's accurate because Walking Sims, and I was going to talk about either Firewatch or Mm, What Remains of Edith Finch, but I chose not to do either of those because, again, I feel like they got quite a lot of press, at least at the time. Whereas Vanishing of Ethan Carter, I just don't remember hearing about at all. And then I played it on a whim and I was like, this game is great. This is a good game. So the premise is that you are this uh, character, Paul Prospero, and you're a detective. You're an inspector. And not only are you a detective, you're a detective of some worldwide renown. Because the reason that you are on your latest case is because you have received a fan. You've gotten some fan mail. So you got a fan letter from a boy named Ethan Carter. And he lives in 
some town i want to say like redwood or something red valley it had a it had a vaguely creepy name uh but somewhere in wisconsin and this boy ethan carter writes to the inspector and he's like hey i need your help there's some bad chiz going down where i live please come please hurry and of course the inspector is like of course i'm gonna go help this kid and the inspector himself you hear him in voiceover a couple of times and he's definitely like the titular pulp noir inspector like you can you never see him physically but you can totally imagine that he's got like the trench coat on over like a suit and maybe a fedora and he's mm-hmm, just like mm-hmm. kind of an old grizzled inspector so i love his character just straight off the bat so he gets to uh wisconsin i'm pretty sure it's wisconsin it's in the north that's all you need to know <laughs> uh and it's really cool how the game starts because you're coming out of a long black tunnel and you just come out of this tunnel into this beautiful forest so for starters the graphic quality of the game even now and i played it you know fairly recently is really good it's a good looking game so you come out into this forest and you're like okay i gotta find this kid and at its core vanishing of ethan carter is i would say more of a puzzle game because you're putting together like a mystery puzzle game Because you are literally putting together the pieces of the puzzle of what happened to Ethan Carter. Where is he? You have to find him. That's your whole goal. So this is accomplished by using Inspector Prospero's special ghostly abilities. Ooh, Ooh, those spirit figures we've heard so much about. So uh, the inspector can basically see past events by using like his special spiritual ability or intuition. So how the gameplay works is you go around the environment, which is somewhat open world, you know, in terms of having the ability to walk around kind of freely in your given plane. You have a lot of ability there. You know, you can kind of go wherever you want. There's not a lot there to be found except for clues, pieces of the puzzle. So let's say that you get to the train tracks and on the train tracks is just like an abandoned train car. And you're like, okay, I see some blood on the ground. That's pretty conspicuous. Uh, And I see this old abandoned train car. What happened here? And then later you might find some legs, just some legs, just kind of on the ground. And you're like, oh, no, that's not good. So by going around the environment and discovering these very conspicuous clues, these pieces of the puzzle, once you have all of the pieces discovered and more or less assembled, you basically enter the inspector's like spirit mode and everything like expands out to this uh like black and white and blue just kind of ghost realm and you see these spirit figures of what happened in the past and they're kind of like frozen in time stills so you might see you know a guy on the tracks about to get hit by a train or you might see someone with an axe raised over their head about to just brutally murder somebody else. Mm. Because what you gather through these flashbacks is essentially what they are and putting them into order. So you then put these flashbacks, these frozen figures into sequence to piece together what happened. As you do these, you get these complete flashbacks of what happened in the past. And these give you a lot of insight into what happened to Ethan Carter. So because this game does hinge so heavily on its story, I'm not going to give you the full details, obviously, because you will get so much more out of it if you don't know what happens. Right. Uh, but the gist is that this town where they live, this this Red Valley or whatever it's called, there's like no one there except for Ethan and his family members. So he's still got his mother, I think his father, 
uh, at least an uncle and maybe a cousin or a brother. He's got a few core family members, but they're bad people. Like they are, his mother is, you know, at the very least neglectful, at worst, verbally abusive. His uncle, I think, is just like straight up an abuser. Like he beats Ethan, I think. Uh, So they're really bad people. And you gather that they have done some terrible things. And under the surface of all of that is this underlying mystery of like, this creature or this thing that people keep vaguely referencing that they call the sleeper. Mm, That's spooky. It's very spooky and it's very much framed as like a cosmic Lovecraftian horror. You know, this thing called the sleeper that dwells beneath us and like, we're going to wake it up. We're going to wake the sleeper. And it it has this very like occult tinge to it. So good. I love crap like that. I love the occult. I love, uh, you know, anything to deal with that. So it does have a couple of scary parts, one of which brief warning there is one jump scare in the game and it got me i feel like that i remember you talking about that when scare got me i feel like i, I remember like, you oh, talking about that part <laughs> like i really kind of had to take a little break because i was so scared i was like oh my god <laughs> so i had to take a break and then come back to it later and i was like i'm a coward <laughs> But so there's at least one jump scare, so watch out for that. But most of the scares in the game just come from the story itself, which is told so well through both the flashbacks that are interactive that you can see and then the inspector's voiceover and stories that you find throughout the map that are kind of just bonuses that are clearly stories, short stories written by Ethan Carter himself. So through these stories, you get a better sense of who Ethan is and what kind of a boy he is. He's clearly a more sensitive, really imaginative, and he loves writing as his escape. So it's really sad to just kind of see the story come together and sort of learn more about the tragedy of Mm -hmm. Ethan Carter and of his life, which is dark for sure. So definitely play Vanishing of Ethan Carter. It's not just a walking sim. It's a mystery puzzler. Mystery puzzler. I even had to cheat and look something up because I couldn't solve the puzzle myself because I'm dumb, I guess. So no, you can you know how many times I've had to do that with some stupid oh puzzle in a video game? So, so many times. Don't don't feel bad about having to look something up. It's 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 a little opaque at times, but it's such a good game. I would recommend it to everybody, especially this is so well timed, especially as we're coming up on Halloween. So definitely play this game in October. Like play it as a lead up to uh Halloween. It's very atmospheric and it's not long. You can play this game in easily under 10 hours. Uh, if you Actually, I would be a little surprised if you got 10 hours out of it. I yeah. think it probably only took me 5 to 10 to finish the game. So absolutely would recommend. It's still really highly rated. Like if you actually go back and look at the reviews, it still gets like 8 and 9s out of 10 from most publications. And I think that that's pretty accurate. Uh, Vanishing of Ethan Carter from The Astronauts, that's the developer, absolutely would recommend. Nice. Man, I, I kind of, until you mentioned it, I was like, oh yeah, What Remains of Edith Finch? That was another good one. Um, I really wanted to talk about that one, but I feel like it it definitely got nominated for a bunch of awards yeah. in the indie category. So I was just having trouble qualifying that as a hidden gem since it was so clearly visible, which you're going to be really mad at me after I've said that once you hear my third one. But let's go on ahead and move on. <laughs> Again, remember, I put the caveat in at the beginning of this. These are ones that either we felt like didn't that, get the, we feel. that we feel because this is <laughs> our show and we it's can talk show. about That's right. our opinions. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> Just take that, haters. Um, but man, there's something else you said in there that I was going to comment on. Oh, speaking of it being spooky season. Spooky season. <laughs> you need to still play. We should do in October, maybe one of like our streams. We should play that Man of Medan anthology Ooh. series that started or until dawn so i do actually own until dawn already so i feel like maybe we should do that that would until be dawn fun. is so good not, I know that you not one that hit my list a, for this but yeah. it's until dawn was so good you did a review of it that was really good a while back oh, so i vaguely know what happens but don't worry i've forgotten most of that well so both of those games be able to enjoy the game and i believe that are the same developer both of those are like choice has very huge impacts like if a character dies they're dead like it's it, yeah. and there's not even a way to go back and revert your saves to fix it which i was like oh man and so That's that just added be. so much tension and until dawn was scary as shit <laughs> so it was, we should definitely play that then. we should I do we should do idea. until dawn because it was a super good game you know i'm always in it for the spooks and scares and this one delivers in spades so it's it's a good one for sure uh so my next pick as a hidden gem this one's actually an xbox one game do you have any guesses as what this would be these are i'm gonna go ahead and say all three games that i'm talking about here are ones that i've talked about before but it's been a very long time since i've talked about this game is it an exclusive? Yes. It was actually a launch title of the Xbox One. A launch title? Good lord. Um, Jesus. <laughs> uh, Gears of War? No, but good guess. Damn it. <laughs> uh, that is actually a very good guess, because the Ultimate Edition of Gears of War came bundled with my Xbox One when I oh, bought that, wow. which was at, at a close to its then. launch. So no, you're not that far off at all. But it right. is. I highly doubt it's a Halo game. Shortly not, it's right? Not, it's not a Halo game. Damn it. Give, me one, give me one more guess. Okay. Uh, <laughs> give me a hint. <laughs> History. Assassin's Creed Odyssey? No, that's not that's not a launch Tune title. In. An Assassin's Creed game? Nope. Damn it. Okay, I give up. Rise, Son of Rome. Came I out. Never in my entire life would have guessed that. <laughs> it was a, it's an, <laughs> it's one out there. Ever. See, so perfect fit in the Hidden Gems category. Absolutely. But, uh, Rise, Son of Rome, like I said, was a launch title for the Xbox One. Came out on November 22nd of 2013. Developed by Crytek. Uh, it's a third-person Hack and, slash, hack and slash adventure set in ancient Rome. You play as a as a centurion Marius Titus or a general Roman or a general in the Roman army Marius Titus who seeks revenge on the on Emperor Nero for the murders of his family. Now, why I liked this one so much, it actually got like fairly decent reviews. But again, it's kind of knocks about it where it looks pretty, but the combat gets pretty repetitive. Which I will give it did get repetitive. Well, the thing about it. Because it does very much turn it's it has combos, it has executions that you can unleash on your uh almost killed opponents and stuff like that. And it had a really fun thing about how it would do the executions too, where you would diff you had four different styles of an execution you could do, and based on which execution you chose, gave you some kind of buff for the next few seconds or whatever that you could then use to keep the combat rolling really well. But it was very much based on using like a light attack, heavy attack, block, you know. It's kind of like how the the Assassin's Creed games, the earlier ones, um, like I think Assassin's Creed 2 and Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, maybe, where it was you could start these 
like execution chains where you only had to like attack a little bit, then you could deflect and do a deflect, which would then kill somebody. And then you were just basically like one tap and everybody just stabbing all over the place. And so even just those stabbing games, all over the place. <laughs> that's really what it was. You're just like, Ooh, guy in front of me, stab to my left, stab to my right, stab. And, but the thing about it, those games, that's too, gotta be the hot new dance, right? <laughs> <laughs> to the front, to the left, to the right. But the thing about those games is the Assassin's Creed games, especially two in brotherhood, like great games, but yeah, the combat you could get, it got a little repetitive. It needed a little more flair. And so that's kind of the same thing with rise son of Rome. And I will agree with that. But the point that I liked about it the most is that for as much as we get games set in like ancient Greece or even in ancient Rome, be that in like Rome total war or even like Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which is Greece, but still same time period ish. Um, you don't really have a game that's set in Rome that is like a grounded game. Like this one dabbles in some mythology and there is like seeing, you know, seeing gods or being visited by gods and things like that in it. But for the most part, it is a pretty sh- like realistic take. Think like Gladiator oh. in a video game form. You know what? I'll say it. Boring. Get Zeus in there. Get that mofo in that game. <laughs> well, no, I just mean, I appreciate it <laughs> no, because it's like, it's like, kidding. that's so used that like you receive like, gr- yeah. you know, the, a boon from the gods and that gives you your power yeah, and absolutely. stuff like that. This one, it felt a little more, while I said it dabbles in that a little bit and there is some of that in there, the majority of it, you're still just a dude fighting. And I think that that in ancient Rome and it spans from, from ancient Britain all the way to like gladiator arenas to the city of Rome itself. And so it like covers this huge expanse of the Roman empire and to get to see it in all these different ways, like you're fighting against Celtic, Celtic tribes. Uh, and then obviously then later you're, you're fighting against like, you actually fight against Boudica, the Celtic queen. And so like uh, actual historical figure in all of this, you interact with emperor Nero, Commodus, like lots of different Nero, stuff. It's, he's the worst one. I know. Oh no, so wait, he, Caligula is the worst one, but Nero was really I mean, bad. they all are up there. Caligula, yeah. Commodus, yeah, Nero, they're <laughs> all bad. Uh, and so I just really appreciate that. And like I said before on the show, I'm a big fan of history. So getting to like live in that and experience it while still a fictionalized tale, some expanded upon parts, it still it was really fun to get that. And because it definitely did feel like it's it's actually and thinking back and looking at it for doing this episode, I was like, man, this game and Gladiator have a lot of similarities and just kind of like their overall storyline. But that's what I've always wanted is like a video game of Gladiator. And so that's what Rise Son of Rome gave me. And so I feel like even though, yes, the combat may be a little repetitive, the story of it and how it does, you do get caught in some very epic battles and it just has a fun feel it's a fun romp through ancient Rome, I would say. And so it's just a, a really fun game. And so, yeah, go try it out on the, on the Xbox one. So, and it even has multiplayer, like it has like multiplayer where you like fight in gladiator arena, stuff like that, which Whoa, now the multiplayer cool. is probably pretty dead at this point. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, and yeah. like even when I played it, which was three, four years ago. So not too long after the game came out and it was pretty much like non-existent for the, even at that point. So for that reason, I would say that it kind of like it got uh, noticed when it came out because it was a launch title game. But pretty much after that, you don't hear much talk about Rise Son of Rome. So that's why I, I hear it. literally no talk. 
zero talk. I'm probably the only person game. that you've heard talk about Rise Center <laughs> Rome. So that is why it is my second pick for a hidden gem game from this last generation. Well, I structured my list poorly because unfortunately <laughs> I have I have the weakest argument for this last one. So I really probably should have made it the third, but we're whatever. This is not I mean, the order eighteen eighty six should have been my number one, but you pulled it yeah. out of me early. So this <laughs> This is an unordered list that I'm doing now, whether you like it or not, uh, because this one got obviously a ton of press. Most people know this game. How many have played it, though, I think is a little bit up in the air because it's Rise of the Tomb Raider. Oh, okay. right. Okay. Okay. So, uh, so obviously Tomb Raider for the PS3, you know, the original revamp of the Tomb Raider games. 10 out of 10 love that game would recommend to everybody oh yeah the 2013 one yeah the 2013 one so good so good rise of the tomb raider then is the direct sequel to that game so tomb raider 2013 was you know young laura croft basically on her first real assignment you know her first big treasure hunting expedition Rise of the Tomb Raider revisits her a few years after that. She's less a young woman and more just a woman at this point. Uh, And she's absolutely a badass. So, you Mm -hmm. know, the first game, 2013, Laura was still figuring things out. She wasn't that big into hand-to-hand combat quite yet. Didn't even have her dual pistols yet, which is her her key item, her iconic weapon. Uh, In Rise of the Tomb Raider, you are very much like the realized Laura Croft. You are still becoming the legendary badass, but you're already on that path. Uh, And it plays very similarly to Tomb Raider 2013. In terms of you have, I'm always going to be bow and arrow till the day I die because I'm all about that. I'm all about that stealth life. So similar to Dishonored and kind of any any action stealth game, in a lot of cases in Rise of the Tomb Raider, you have different means, different modes, uh, methods, different methods that you can use to kind of traverse each level, each set piece. And there are, of course, enemies interspersed all throughout the map. Um, Some of them are human enemies in Rise of the Tomb Raider. Some of them are animal, animal enemies, which is a return to form for Tomb Raider games. I have so many memories of my mom struggling to kill wolves and tigers from the old, old Tomb Raider games, because that's where like our familial love of Tomb Raider comes from is our mm. mom. I would just like, oh, that's sit cool. on the floor next to our ancient PC, like our uh, the family computer. Mm. Like I would just sit on the floor next to her and like look at the screen and watch her playing Tomb Raider. And it was just wonderful. So that's where that Tomb Raider love comes from. Uh, but Rise of the Tomb Raider is still a rock-solid entry in the series. It's got great combat, really interesting crafting, which, you know my feelings on crafting systems. I often think that they are unnecessary and in a lot of cases stupid. This one I'm kind of on the fence about. In a lot of cases, I do think it's stupid and unnecessary, Mm -hmm. but some of the cooler things you can do with the crafting system are like, (laughs) if you kill an enemy... You can then craft like a little poison bomb and like put it on their corpse and then wait for their buddies to walk by. And it's like a booby trap. You like set off a booby trap of like a poison miasma cloud. And that's pretty cool. That is cool. Love that. That's very dishonored. So I thought certain parts of it were really interesting. What you could do in the environment with your weapons was really interesting as well. Um, Of course, you have your pickaxes, which you can use to climb up ice walls. So I should have 
preface this by saying the premise of Rise of the Tomb Raider is you're searching for an ancient Byzantine artifact. You're looking for something related to this lost prophet. Uh, You're basically following the trail of this lost ancient prophet on his way into the ancient Byzantine Empire. So it's got a really cool cultural aspect to it, which is really not used at all in most modern games. So it's got a lot of Eastern European history and a lot of Russian history just kind of interspersed in there. Cool. Isn't this the one that has the, the, sorry, isn't this the one that has the DLC that's something about the Baba Yaga? Yes, it does. And that's a really good part of the game, too. So it's got some great DLC that's more related to, like, folklore and mythology. But the game itself is... No, I'm not even going to say that. It's not. It's not grounded in reality <laughs> at yeah. all. Because part of the game is you actually come across an ancient Byzantine culture, like a living people that have just sort of been frozen in time by being cut off from the rest of the world. Oh, wow. So... I thought that that part was kind of dumb, but we're, we're going to ignore that. Uh, I loved the Tomb Raiding aspect of it. I loved all of the artifacts that you could find. A lot of it was finding these ancient texts written by apostles that kind of went along with this prophet. So it had really cool, like, religious mytholo- mythological elements to it that I loved. Laura could actually increase her skills. Um, The skill tree in the Tomb Raider games is really fun. And a couple of the skills that she could increase were like her Greek and her Latin. Uh, And if you increase those, and her Russian, I think, and if you increase those enough, you would then have better access to find more and more of these artifacts because they would literally show up on your map once you'd increased your skills enough. So I love the skill tree. I love the RPG elements to it. I love getting to upgrade all of your weapons. Find new outfits for Laura. Who doesn't love that? New outfits are always a good time. Uh, So those elements I really liked. Um, The combat is, of course, very fluid. It plays very well. Um, The bow and arrow is so fun to use. Speaking of which, one of the things that you can do in the environment with with the bow and arrow, you can shoot arrows into walls in a lot of cases. And then use them to climb up. Oh, like that's cool. Like you basically cool. shoot footholds into walls. How cool is that? That's so, so cool. So that part I loved. I thought it was so well done. Uh, the setbacks to the game, I felt, were really just kind of the story, honestly. Um, I don't feel like you have to make treasure hunting overly complicated. That's just a personal opinion. <laughs> I think that if you're just, you can just be out there for fun, just yeah. for the treasure hunting. Uh, I really felt that the addition of like this rediscovered lost civilization was a little dumb. I hated, oh, I don't even remember what his name was. The key antagonist. Uh, you know how Indiana Jones always has an antagonist mm-hmm. that's like, haha, I'm always one step ahead of you, Indy. I'm so smart. I went to Oxford College or something. And you're like, <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Just get out of here. <laughs> it's just so stupid. And I felt the exact same way about whoever Laura was fighting in this particular game. Again, I don't remember his name. That's how forgettable he was. Didn't care about his background. All I know is that you and him are, of course, both going after the same treasure, mm-hmm. which that's fine. I just didn't need the cutscenes. Get him out of there. I don't care about him. So the cutscenes were pretty boring, uh, just straight up. So. The game had some drawbacks for sure, which is kind of why I feel like it's a little bit more of a hidden gem. Definitely not helped. And this is kind of the key reason that I'm qualifying it as a hidden game. I think as a hidden gem, um, I think the fact that this was a timed exclusive for the Xbox One dramatically hurt Rise of the Tomb Raider. And that was like 
A year? It was a whole year. It was a whole year. So when Rise of the Tomb Raider came out on Xbox, it was an exclusive on Xbox for a full year. And I obviously wasn't able to play it that first year. I had Mm -hmm. to wait for it to come out. Um, I did actually get the collector's edition once it did eventually make its way to PS4 because that included all the DLC. And I wanted that Baba Yaga DLC. So that was nice that the game had time to fix its bugs, get all of its DLC, blah, blah, blah. But I feel like that dramatically hurt its sales. Um, I think that in general, more people play games on PlayStation than they do on Xbox. I could be wrong about that, but I feel like more people I know have a PlayStation than an Xbox at least. So I just think that it not having full market access for so long just totally killed its momentum. Mm. Uh, Similar to kind of what happened with Crash Team Racing. You know, a game comes out and then something happens and it doesn't really just ever pick up steam. Yeah. And I feel like Rise of the Tomb Raider just never picked up that steam that it needed. And I feel like it's a really good game. Definitely better than Uncharted. Better than (laughs) Uncharted. How about that? So uh, if you like the Uncharted games, you will like the Tomb Raider games. Um, I have mentioned before that I find the combat against enemies to be a little repetitive in a lot of these types of games, which I still think is true. But where Rise of the Tomb Raider really excels is it's not overly done cinematically. Uncharted is just playing a movie. Mm. It's just an interactive movie and a bad one at that. Uh, Whereas Rise of the Tomb Raider actually has some fun gameplay elements to it. Uncharted does not. Screw Uncharted. Uh, So Rise (laughs) of the Tomb Raider, hidden gem that I think could have gotten a lot more steam and a lot more love if it had had access at the outset. Yeah. So that's sort of my reasoning for that. And actually, it was free on... It was free on PS Plus a while ago. I actually wish that I had remembered to tell people because I actually sold my physical copy a while back just because I was done. You know, yeah. I was done with the game. So I sold my physical copy to my local game shop. And then the free one came up on the PS Plus store and I was like, oh, great. I'll just buy it again. So, so I got it again for free. And nice. I definitely want to replay it because I still think it's a really good game. I feel like I have it, too. Probably do. I'm, <laughs> I'm, probably I'm sure. About it, I'm sure I got the PS Plus. <laughs> but I feel like I might have it on Xbox. I don't know. I'll have to go check. I'll have to go look through my games. And you're, and you're my the games. only person I know with it on Xbox. Yep, but that's yeah, true. Rise of the Tomb Raider, super good game. Nice. Well, to round, well, to round us out then, we'll have my top, or not top, because this is, I don't necessarily think I have an order to these necessarily. Top one was but Order 1886. <laughs> that one is number one. But so the last one that I wanted to mention in here is from a series. It's a it's a main series. Kind of This one, I kind of feel like, matches a little bit with Rise of the Tomb Raider, where like it's it's maybe not the strongest case for it being a hidden gem. I feel like more underappreciated might be a better title for it, for uh, ranking for this one. But it's Far Cry Primal. Oh, a game I totally forgot about. See, Good the hidden gem. <laughs> hidden so, gem. So this one took place in the order of release. This one is not a full sequel at or, but it is, it did come out after Far Cry 4. Like, you know, Far Cry, uh, they do their, like Far Cry 4 had this one. Far Cry 5 had uh, Far Cry New Dawn, which I still need to play. And, and now we're going to be getting Far Cry 6 coming out next year, which, oh, excited for that. I'm excited to do Far Cry again. But why I think this one is so great is because it twists the Far Cry formula on its head where Far Cry is normally very over the top action with like a lot of explosions, guns, 
you know, over-the-top action. Far Cry Primal, it's primal. It takes place in the in prehistoric times, like ten thousand, <laughs> like ten thousand BC esque in time, in timeline, and so therefore you don't have guns, you don't have explosives, you have you're using like bow and arrow, spears, throwing spears. You can even at one point craft a bomb that is that basically you captured bees and put them in a jar, <laughs> which is. Excellent. Who right? doesn't love a good old fashioned bee bomb? Because th- and that's what it's called. It's called the bee bomb. And you throw oh it God. and then all the Wonderful. people immediately turn into Nicolas Cage, yell bees and run away. Oh my God. The 10 out of 10 already. <laughs> exactly. And so that's why I loved it so much. And basically you're playing as this hunter Takar who is trying to defend his people from the invading Udom who are trying to like come in and take over. And the, the Udom are a very like violent people. Whereas the Uinja, which is who the Takar's people, they're more of like hunter gatherer kind of people, more peaceful. But so you like lead the defense against the invading Udom. But this one, even though all Far Cry games have an element of the environment and the world also trying to kill you, not necessarily only enemies that you face, this one kind of took it to another level because you are at a severe disadvantage to even a lot of the animals that you're going to come across. Like you start getting attacked by like saber-toothed tigers, some like big wolves, uh, I think even like some other like lion-esque, like cave lions, I believe, or what they're what they're called. Okay. And so there's a lot of – and then woolly mammoths even too. Like you have to hunt those at certain points. And so it just made it feel way more survival-focused. Rather than let's run and gun and blow shit up. And I think that for Far Cry, especially to take such a risk on such a big switch in theme, I feel paid off really well. But a lot of the big reviews that it got was its story was just kind of bland. And I can agree to that. It is just a kind of like go go to this person, do their quest. Then you go attack this outpost. You, you know, kind of push the Udon back a bit. Then you'll go to do this one, another like gathery fetch quest type things. And then you go do like the next fight against the Udon. So I get that. But the world that they created in this prehistoric setting with, with this focus so heavy on survival, because you did have to craft a whole lot. You had to run around and pick up wood, stone, other things like that to be able to craft and refill your arrows, even, even like throwing your throwing spears and stuff like that. You're constantly on the lookout for resources so that you can always be ready to face whatever's going to come at you. And so I feel like having that really sent, built the sense of you are literally fighting against all elements. And I feel like that came across really strongly. This game also introduced animal taming into Far Cry, which you are a hunter, but you're kind of like blessed with this ability to easily tame and calm animals, which you obviously upgrade that ability through your uh, skill tree. And so having that where you then could bring or even ride a saber-toothed tiger into battle was so cool. I mean, that's just inherently cool. Right? That's just a cool thing. What other game can you say that you're going to ride a saber-toothed tiger into battle? None. None that I just think of. Far Cry Primal. And so being that I think that it wasn't the full like numbered release in the in the Far Cry series. I feel like that kind of for one, people were like, eh, I'll mess with this one. But if you're like, I like guns and things, this is where I want to stay. Maybe Far Cry Primal didn't have as much appeal for you. But I love Far Cry Primal. I dug into it. I actually platinumed it. I think it was one of the second, maybe the second game I actually platinumed ever because I couldn't get enough 
of going through the world, building and crafting all the weapons, exploring all the different locations, which is also fun because like one of the, it's more of an Easter egg trophy, but one of the trophies that you can go for is you actually find a reference to the the title after Far Cry 3, which again, wasn't a full entry. Uh, oh crap, now I'm gonna forget. I'm, I totally- the Dragon's Force game? Yeah, Dragon. Uh, it's Far Cry. It's like Blood Dragon or something. Blood Dragon, yes. yes oh my yes, God, yes. is it really? I'm, pre- <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is. It makes you find like one of the Blood Dragon like robotic creatures from that one in like this deep cave Fun. in Far Cry Primal. So it, like it has nods to the other series. So it just had all these little secrets and things for you to go and explore. And plus just again, how many games off the top of your head can you list that take place in like prehistoric time? Not very many. And so, and in fact, the one that was like, at the same time, I've been looking forward to coming out for a long time. Wild. Do you remember that one being like, it still hasn't come out yet. And I think it's been in development for the entire life cycle of the PS4, where you're playing as like a shaman who can also like tame animals and use animals to like help in their either combat or exploration. Like that's, and it also takes place in like prehistoric times. That's the only thing that I can really think of off the top of my head. That's similar. And so for presenting this new world, new take on Far Cry, I think it it has to stand out as like a hidden gem. But I think if you're a fan of the Far Cry series, you got to play. Even if you're not, you got to play because it's so different from other things that are out there in the world right now. Yeah, I, I can definitely get behind that, um, especially because I feel like I remember a lot of press about Primal before it came out. Mm-hmm. But not a lot afterwards. Uh, Like, I remember a few of the reviews being really good, of course, but kind of after that first couple of months, I feel like it just, you know, fell off in the public mindset, which is normal for a lot of games. Yeah. But I do remember thinking, that's a cool Far Cry game. Like, that's very different from what it normally is. So, yeah, I think that definitely qualifies as a hidden gem. It's a good one. It's a good one for sure. So to run back through our list really quick, my f- hidden gems were The Order 1886, Rise, Son of Rome, and Far Cry Primal. Logan, what were yours one more time? I don't remember. That's how <laughs> hidden they are. <laughs> Mine are Rise of the Tomb Raider, uh, The Vanishing of Ethan Carter, and Crash Team Racing Nitro Fuel. Nice. Very nice. Well, if you love any of these games or have any other hidden gems that you would like to let us know about, we'd love to hear from you. So write us an email at teamchatpodcast.gmail.com. Jump on our Discord server. Talk about us with them there and or comment below on any of our social media things or in the comments below the videos and audio files, like wherever you're listening. So uh, but yeah, share your thoughts and your hidden gems with us. We'd love to hear about those games from other people as well. But with that, everybody, that concludes this episode of Team Chat Podcast. Come back next week for another great episode. Until then, I'm one of your hosts, Jarrett Wilson, joined across the power of the internet by Rachel Mogan. Peace out. We'll see you all next time.